Welcome to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. My name is Pete Scazzaro. Our theme today is finding God's rhythms for you. Finding God's rhythms for you. Rhythm is the key word I want you to remember because without rhythms, uh, there's no power that's going to flow from us or little power. And that is really my deep concern. The issue of rhythms comes up in my conversations with leaders repeatedly. Uh, Again, remember, we cannot give what we do not possess, and we can only give what we do possess. And so the Holy Spirit invites each of us to a spaciousness, a lightness uh, in our lives out of which we uh, lead, even though we're carrying the weight uh, of other people. You know, Jesus described his yoke as easy and light. So the burden that you're carrying or I'm carrying as a leader right now feels heavy and difficult. There's one thing you can know for sure That is not Jesus's yoke. Now, there's a certain weight of responsibility we carry as leaders. There's suffering involved in leadership, uh, but it's not hard and heavy when it's Jesus's yoke and you're doing it his way. And the only way that's going to happen is to find God's rhythms for you at each season uh, of your life. Have you ever had too many meetings and talked about too many things and engaged in too many conversations and ignored your body? when it was telling you to like stop. The issue of rhythms is very tough because it was, there's strong resistance. It's external resistance, internal, internal resistance. We've got habits that are bad. And so developing new rhythms with God, especially as a leader, hits our rebellion, hits issues of sin. It's just, a, this is a large theological issue for all of us. I mean, it was theologian Robert Barron who years ago Uh, taught me or exposed me to the heart of original sin as the refusal to accept God's rhythms for us. And he cites Adam and Eve and the enormous freedom they were given in the Garden of Eden. And then without explanation, God sets this boundary before them. They were not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were to trust and surrender to him. They were to stop and bow humbly before his ways. And In other words, they were to be active, you know, building the garden, building the kingdom, going out and filling the earth. But then they were to be passive and to stop. They were to work, then they were to stop and surrender and trust. They were to be active, then they were were to let go. And you see this this dynamic of a rhythm of doing and and being all throughout, you know, Scripture. There's a time for work, a time for Sabbath, a time to engage, a time to let go, a time to press forward, and a time to uh, wait. There's a time to talk, there's a time to listen, there's a time to give out to others, there's a time to receive from others. There's a time, in a sense, we're in the city, uh, like Jesus, there's a time there to be in the desert. There's a time we are expand, it's the season of expansion, there's a time to contract uh, in winter. And so the essence, uh, Barron argues, of, of being in God's image is the ability to stop, like God stopped after creating the universe in six days. And we actually imitate God by stopping and, and resting. And for this reason, this issue of theme, of rhythms is so large. We touch something deep in all of our lives as image bearers of God. A great book on, on Sabbath is written by Wayne Mueller, and he begins by talking about the rhythm in all of life. And uh, is, a, is a rhythm of nights and days that we engage in. We're awake and then we sleep. There's the tides have rhythm. Tide goes in, tide goes out. The moon and the sun, there's a rhythm to that. Uh, And uh, there's this deep rhythm in in nature, uh, in seasons that are happening all around us. But our culture, especially Western culture, and think of just the invention of electricity, 
uh, there's not a lot of rhythm uh, that we have. Our culture knows little about it. Everything's 24-7, nonstop, hurry. Uh, and, it, you know, this expression, I know my life is out of control, but I feel trapped. And no one sets out to live a chaotic life. It just happens. And so words like scattered and fragmented, un uncentered, distracted, overloaded, we hear them all the time. Uh, because instead of being who we are and where we are, we end up kind of on the way to go somewhere else. And the culture swallows us up. So the question is, you know, how do I, how do I get a rhythm? How do I live oriented to God, calm, content, relaxed, and yet leading? Uh, now, that's not going to happen naturally in a culture like ours, uh, which behind the cultural movements and pressures are demonic powers that seek to basically cut us off from the rhythms that we need from God to anchor us spiritually in him out of which we do our work. So for me, you know, I struggled with this, and I, it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing reality of, of living in God's rhythms for me, but my, my turning point uh, actually began to happen in 2001, uh, 2000, 2001, when I preached a series for a year and a half, uh, it was 37 messages, I believe, on the book of Revelation, and it changed me because I, I got inside the book of Revelation, again, the final uh, book of scripture, which gives this incredible picture of the battle in which we find ourselves. Now, Rome is considered the beast. It's, it's a very pictorial book that, you know, the, the governments are, are, are the beast, the, the Roman Empire, seeking to swallow up and cut off believers and the church from bearing witness to Jesus and what is true. And behind the beast is a dragon, demonic power, Satan himself, uh, again, in this, in this cosmic, enormous warfare that we find ourselves in. And I think being immersed in that book for such a long period of time uh, and bringing our church through it, I, I remember I could feel the breath of the beast uh, bearing down on us as, as, a, as a church here in Queens, New York City. And I remember the last message of the series very vividly because uh, I was like, what am I gonna do? How, how do I call people to resist the beast? And all I knew at that point was to, to invite people to uh, spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines. I remember picking up a, uh, a list of, of Dallas Willard from one of his books and kind of laying it out and basically called people to, you know, greater times in scripture, silence, you know, uh, devotions, confession, worship, et cetera. But I walked out that day knowing that nothing had changed, that the church uh, tradition of which I come from the uh, the nature of Western culture, we were not going to be able to resist the beast. And I, I left there feeling like, oh, gosh, uh, you know, something's deeply wrong here because what we have, and I've been exposed to as a good evangelical of calling people to spiritual disciplines, it's just not enough and it's not working. And I would consider myself, even up to that point, a, a quite a disciplined person in my practices before God. And so in 2003 is when Jerry and I took a four-month sabbatical, and I, and I actually received a grant to do that. It was a four-month sabbatical. And I got money to actually, we got money to, to actually travel and visit monasteries. I, I, I knew that within uh, evangelicalism and our tradition, going back to the Reformation, there was something that I, I, didn't, I couldn't see it. 
what would what would make what would really slow us down, you know, for Jesus and, and abide in him enough to be able to resist the beast and the demonic powers behind the beast, seeking to cut us off from union with Jesus. And so for four months we visited monasteries and got on a deep immersion in Benedictine spirituality. Now I've been reading about it for, you know, since, since my seminary days, uh, you know, 15, 16 years earlier. But what I was exposed to in monasticism, I realized was a drasticness that went far beyond anything I'd been exposed to in seminars and workshops on spiritual practices and disciplines. And it dramatically shifted my life. Uh, now, again, I'm still working it out and growing, but it was a turning point for me of, in, almost in a prophetic way, calling uh, me, and then I realized calling the church, to a radical life with Jesus, apart from the world and yet in the world. And this word rhythms entered into me in a way that I had never before. And so what I want to do is talk to you in this podcast about daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, annual rhythms, and actually uh, every seven to 10-year rhythms. Uh, so really in four different areas. And because the, 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 the pathway of discovering God's rhythm is, is discovering some ancient treasures of spirituality, uh, whether it's ancient Judaism uh, or the ancient church, uh, the early church. Uh, but it, 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 we've got to get outside of just kind of our small box of how do I find a rhythm God's rhythm for me so that I'm not living off other people's spirituality or skimming off the surface, uh, but I'm having my own direct experience anchoring me in God. And uh, in some ways, think of it this way. You know how we call a timeout to kind of like, take a deep breath? This is a call to a time in, a time in to be with Jesus, you know, a time in to listen to the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so let me begin with a daily office and talk about that begin because that was the first turning point for me. And I actually changed the name uh, uh, to, in my own brain, from devotionals or quiet time to daily office because it was getting at something, uh, a different angle of being with God that I had been exposed to. And it really, it comes out of, again, it's a, it's a, it's a, the word daily office comes out of Latin. This comes out of, uh, you know, Benedict's rule, Benedict's spirituality. And it's referred to often as fixed hour prayer. But the word office means in the, in, uh, in Latin, in the original Greek Latin was the work of God. And that the most important work we do in life is to seek his face. Coming out of Psalm 27, 4, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple. And that my first work in life is to seek his face, to gaze upon his beauty. Uh, and so that my time with God was not just getting from God, but being with God. And so what, what I was, what I began to enter into, and Jerry and I began to live some rhythms, of, uh, and when we entered into these monasteries and engaged in silence and stillness and these offices or rhythms, it was so powerful because now, again, we were in a, tra I remember being in a Trappist monastery, for example, where we actually stopped uh, eight times a day, beginning at three o'clock in the morning and then at like 5.30 and nine and uh, then t 11 and then two, and you know, going through the day all the way through the evening. And it was all these stops to sing psalms and pray, and then they went back to work that just so filled the day with God for, for me. And over that three to four, as it was a four-month period, that uh, it really shifted us. And we made a commitment that we were first going to be, in a sense, monastics. We're going to first be men and women who seek God's face, Psalm 27, 4. And um, 
that the most important thing we do as leaders would be to stop or slow down and be with God so that uh, the rest of the day we'd be remembering him and the goal of being communion. It really has changed our lives over the last 15 plus years. It gave us a structure. Now, I don't do uh, seven offices a day by any means. Uh, and actually, uh, again, so this, I don't want to go into a whole long teaching on it, but this goes way back to uh, David in the Psalms, Daniel uh, in Daniel chapter six, as he was seeking, as the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar wanted to suck Daniel up into the culture of Babylon uh, and their whole thought world and assimilate Daniel. Uh, it says he had a, he had a, custom of praying three times a day was his lifelong habit. So he had a rhythm to resist Babylon. And and I I love that. And David, we know, had a rhythm in the Psalms uh, of morning and evening prayer, or seven times a day do I praise thee. And so this idea of rhythm is found in Scripture. Jesus, as an Orthodox Jew in the first century, just like he participated in the synagogue uh, worship uh, on a weekly basis, he also participated in fixed hour prayer, which they had. And so, but what's happened over over history is folks have taken the the you know eight times a day of Benedictine spirituality from monks, and for those of us who you were listening to this podcast who work, they they've broken it down to actually four times a day uh, to to find a way to pause or stop between six and nine a.m., between eleven and two p.m., between five and eight p.m., and then right before you go to bed. Uh, for the, the final office called Compline. It's actually four times a day. And uh, so what Jerry and I, we, we took that and we began to try to, you know, early on, you know, 15, 16 years ago, begin to try to do, stop four times a day, actually, according to those kind of monastic rhythms, whatever we were doing. And uh, now again, so what it looks like for, for me, very practically, is uh, in the mornings, uh, I spend, because I have a quiet time devotional built into my life from way back. You know, every morning I'll, I'll spend, I don't know, depending on how much time I've got, but, uh, you know, half hour to an hour and a half uh, with God. And 20 minutes of that will be silence. Uh, and then there'll be scripture. Uh, I'll do a, a deep dive in scripture. Uh, right now I'm in the book of Matthew. And, uh, but the silence is a big part of that. And actually silence and scripture are the two key ele- elements uh, of the time and being still and knowing he's God. And then midday, uh, which is much briefer for me, I, I may stop for five minutes to 15 minutes. Uh, I'll, I'll pray a psalm perhaps, but there's always going to be some silence. That's probably the number one to kind of center center myself in remembering God. And then uh, between five and eight, that evening prayer, I, I would say I miss that probably uh, 50 to 70% of the time I I. You know, I don't have a formal office. Uh, and then, but Compline, or the final office before I go to bed, I would say that's, that's so built into me, I can't imagine not ending my day with it. And and that little office of Compline or Compline, depending how it's said, uh, for me can really vary. Anything from reading something, you know, reading a Christian book, devotional, and praying, doing the examine. I mean, Jerry and I will sometimes pray that simple prayer from the Book of Common Prayer, which we love. And we'll do it together. Uh, may the Lord grant me and those I love a peaceful night and a perfect end. And what we do is we insert the names of our daughters, our son-in-laws, our grandchild with, you know, may the Lord grant me and those I love. And then we put their names in it, you know, a peaceful night and a perfect end. But we close our eyes. I like to close my eyes at night. And I don't know if I'm going to see him face to face when I wake up. I may not wake up on earth here, you know, but if I wake up in the morning, it's like, okay, you know, oh, here I am, Lord, you know, and another day to serve you here on earth. But these rhythms have really probably the biggest thing for me is it's changed my identity in that I'm not first 
a leader or a pastor, uh, even her father or husband, I'm first uh, a lover of God. I'm, I'm, I'm first a, a seeker of God. Again, Psalm 27, 4. And the silence, of course, has changed my life completely. And, uh, you know, it's rightly been said the only thing big enough to hold to God is silence. Just bring in that spiritual practice. It's incredibly simple, but it's incredibly difficult uh, to sustain. And you can only really learn what I'm talking about in terms of silence by actually doing it. Uh, it doesn't mean it's easy, that you can understand it. And I'm listen, I'm, a, I'm only a beginner in this, uh, even though it's been 15 years, because it comes as a shock when we realize how uncontrolled and chaotic our insides are. If you read the Desert Fathers, for example, in the 3rd, 4th, and 5th centuries, they'll talk about how they went to the desert to, to get away from all the noise, uh, and then they found out that inside of them was all this noise, anger, envy, compulsiveness, fantasizing about sex and food, all that stuff. And so it's not, it's not like you can go to a place like a monastery or go to a cave and all your noise is going to leave you. It's internal. So imagine we stop in the middle of the day, we're still before God, and what happens? All hell breaks loose, you know, because our muscles just aren't used to being still or silent. And our minds get flooded with thoughts like, when did I back up my computer? Uh, or, you know what, Joe never called me back. Or did I, did I return that text message? Nightmares begin to jumble around in our mind, the world news, sports, uh, problems in our personal life. Did I do the laundry? Oh, my cell phone's off. I wonder who's calling. Am I really? Am I doing the silence thing right anyway? Am I actually growing in this? Or am I just wasting time? Uh, is there a better way to do this? And and then when I'm driving home tonight, which road should I take? Cause the traffic? Or you know what? I'm falling asleep. You know, I got a headache. I need a cup of coffee. You know what? This would work better if I was on a retreat, not here at the office. Or you know what? I think I'm wasting time. You know, my stomach hurts. I need to go on a high fiber diet. Or, you know, a new health food store opening. I had to go check that out. All this in the middle of silence. Or, you know, they pay that credit bar card bill. Or, oh, I forgot to return Jim's call. Oh, my gosh, I got 100 emails probably uh, in my box. So it, it's an, this is something, it's an exercise. This is, this is a muscle to develop. And, and um, again, once you, once you begin to develop a rhythm in your days, um, your, your body gets hardwired for it. And once you begin to build in some silence and stillness, uh, you find out you really can't live without it. Uh, it. The biggest thing I see that happens, and I really see this in our uh, disciple, emotionally healthy discipleship courses that churches are doing, because based on the courses, probably the biggest uh, thing that's happening for people is learning stillness and silence before the Lord, because it moves you into a mature relationship with Jesus. It, uh, you see, if you're just talking to God all the time or just reading scripture, but never stopping to actually listen or be with him in communion and be silent. Uh, it, it's a one-way relationship. It's kind of hard to have a, a, a deep relationship. Uh, but when you stop to be silent and still, uh, it's taking the relationship to a whole new place. Could you imagine being in a relationship with someone and all they do is talk to you, but they never actually like listen or, or be with you? And so the three things I'm doing in that time of silence is I'm surrendering my will. I'm I'm in friendship and communion with him. I'm being with Jesus. I'm in, in, in inviting his love to fill me, but I'm also listening to him. But it's communion, that stillness. Uh, we're not doing new age. We're not doing mindfulness like in the culture. We're, we're not Sufis or Hindus. We're, we're, we're being still before the Lord. You know, God invented silence. It's, it's from him. So it's, it's revolutionary. So let me just, let me actually close this. I, I wasn't expecting to close here because time is actually, you know, almost up and uh, I have three more segments to do, but I want to, but this idea of, of being still before the Lord uh, is, is a revolution. And so one of 
my missions is to bring to the church a slow-down spirituality, which has a, a component of it of being still before God. And so we've written these Emotionally Healthy Day-by-Day -day books that go with the two uh, courses that make up the two parts of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course. And I want to encourage you to uh, get the discipleship kit. Uh, go on our website. We have a nice two-minute introduction at EmotionallyHealthy.org to, to what that is. Get that kit. Get trained. And actually... Uh, do the course. Bring the course to your to your constituency, your church, your ministry. Uh, it is it is powerful and it's life changing. Uh, even just introducing this first rhythm of a daily office of pausing to be with God uh, again, not just once a day, but two or three times a day. And again, the goal is that we abide with Jesus all through the day. Again, John chapter fifteen, because as He said, "Apart from Me, you can do nothing," and unless we abide in Him. Uh, we cannot bear any fruit. And so all of our leadership, we want it to come out of a rhythm. And again, that's, I, we need community for this, but but it's a radical call. And my invitation to you is, it's think of, think of you're living in Egypt or ancient Syria or Palestine or ancient Israel in the second, third, and fourth centuries. And what happened was uh, once the empire became Christian, uh, there was so much worldliness in the church that believers said, we've got to get rid of the idols in our in our in our churches and in our hearts. And so they fled to the desert and they they got rid of their possessions, their reputations, and and they and and there was a great revival broke out, especially in Egypt. And they said there were so many people living in the desert alone with God uh, in communities and, and as hermits, that there was more people in the desert, or as many people in the desert as there were in the city. It was a great move of God. In some ways, the invitation uh, of emotionally healthy discipleship is a call to the desert. And I live in Queens, New York. It's very crowded. My desert, I can I find in my room here on the third floor where I'm sitting right now. And I have a little chair I sit in for time with God. Uh, I can do it anywhere. I can do it on a park bench in the middle of Manhattan, uh, which I did the other day. Uh, I could do I do it at our church in my office. I can find anywhere and make that holy space, and that becomes my desert. But this rhythm of being in the desert and then pulling out of the desert to be active, but remembering Jesus very much abiding in him and living in communion with him. That's what it means to pray always. I'm, he's always on my mind versus I pray a little bit in the morning maybe or I remember God at small group in church, but then I don't think about him all through the day and I just kind of go my way. The real goal of the rhythm is to be thinking and abiding in God all day long. That's the great call. And so that's the revolution I want to invite you to. And uh, so go to emotionallyhealthy.org when you get a chance there and um, you know email me any questions you might have. And what we'll do is next week, we will get into uh, the other rhythm. So you've got a rhythm on your days of the daily office. Then there is a rhythm of your weeks, which is Sabbath. And then there is a rhythm of your years, which in, in ancient Israel, they had these three uh, festivals that broke up their year, actually. And we have something that we call vacations and holiday weekends that need to be put into our rhythms as, in a sense, a little extended Sabbaths. And then there's um, every seven to 10 years where we need a sabbatical. And it may not be that you can actually take off fully from your job or your employment as a leader, but there are some things that you will need to do for long-term sustainability. And God built in sabbatical years uh, into ancient Israel. And I think there's a great principle for them, for us in that, that will serve us long-term, and I'll talk about that more next week. So this has been part one of finding God's rhythms for you, and uh, I pray the Lord's blessing on you, and may his 
uh, hand rest on you, may his love rest on you, and may God give you really wisdom to begin to slow down and sort out a, a, a rhythm of being with God out of which you can do for God. And so again, uh, don't underestimate how much emotional and spiritual life is taken out of you as you serve people. It's much more than we realize, and thus you've got to pull in to be with him out of what you can give to others. So God bless everybody. Great to be with you. Look forward to talking to you next week.